Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to another Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's September 15th, 2020, and I'm happy to have Brad Wood with me today. I'm happy to be here with you today, Gavin. Well, uh, it's a lot better than the last few days, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking before the show about how bad my weekend was with server problems, and then I didn't tell you that Monday had two more sets of server problems, different servers, different headaches. So I'm done with servers. This is why serverless, even though it's a lie, is such a good marketing thing, because... You know, developers, when you mention servers, their eyes like glaze over and they're like, just like Helsinki, you know, sorry, a man who knew too little (laughs) reference. Um, But yeah, yeah, you're like, what? Serverless? A world with no servers? It really just means somebody else manages the servers, but it's it's playing on that that deep dread that, you know, developers have of having to manage the server and the hard drive goes out, etc., yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely some good things about it. I was actually looking at the DigitalOcean managed databases, but uh, unfortunately there was a, a problem with one of the databases I had. It didn't meet some of the lockdown criteria they had, so I couldn't even import the first database. Dang. So I need to experiment on that. Uh, I'll tell you later who I can blame for it, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. what do we got going on today? Well, uh, before we get into it, let's thank our sponsors, Auto Solutions. Uh, they pay the bills, so thank you guys. Um, Auto Solutions obviously does a lot of uh, things, open source projects, but we also do some training. So with trainings coming up, uh, that's one way you can give back to Autos and say thank you for all the open source goodness we give you. Uh, we have two Coldbox trainings coming up in October. I'm doing Coldbox Zero to Hero, and then Luis is doing Hero to Superhero. Uh, now, didn't we just do these a couple months ago? Yep, but they're in demand. Everyone wants to do them. Uh, and, you know, obviously summertime. People are actually vacationing sometimes. I don't know how. What? Uh, but So there's more people signing up for the new ones. And we're going to try and offer them a few times a year. Normally we would do them around the conference time, but we're not there. So this is why we're doing it this way. That's right. So, yep. So normally we'd be at CF Summit, potting it up in the suite in the <laughs> Vegas. But uh, no, I missed that this year. Yeah, no penthouse for us. So, anyways, but we have those two workshops coming up, and CF Cast is our, our subscription service, which has free and paid content released every single week. So, definitely check those out. And then if you're wanting to support us in a different way, we have Patreon support as well. So patreon.com slash autosolutions. You can see all the cool packages and different ways you can financially support us. Uh, We have about 31 patrons right now, and we're about 60% of our uh, support of the podcast. So we're over 50% from Patreon. So that means it's paying more than Autos does for the podcast. So that's a good thing. So Autos can spend more of its money on open source products and stuff like that. So... Sweet. Okay, now we can get into the news since we thanked our sponsors. So, <laughs> probably the biggest thing of piece of news I think for the week is that CF Camp officially canceled for 2020. Such sadness. Yeah, uh, they they wrote a nice little letter. It's on their website. If you go to cfcamp.org, you can see it. But uh, I'll I'll paraphrase and read a bit of it. But basically, they've been monitoring the pandemic situation since early in the year. And it seems for the foreseeable future, it's nearly impossible to run a proper physical conference event. 
And CF Camp is more than just two days of a bunch of tech sessions. They're a community conference driven by speakers and organizers, but also participants. So those things like chatting over lunch and during breaks or having a drink at the bar are all important parts of CF Camp, especially the dogs of CF Camp they had last year. You know, what could they do about that? So basically, in the current situation, they can't do it and they don't want to do a bad job of it. And and so that's sort of the short of it and they did look at virtual as an option but really they think that it would you know there's a lot of other virtual conferences out there and really cf camp is more than just a conference like that so they decided to wait until next year yeah i mean that makes sense they said there's sort of oversaturation of online conferences and everybody's kind of getting zoom fatigue so yeah. this is unfortunate but not unexpected i mean it would be really difficult for i think the travel part of it um i think most of the u.s people would would be unlikely or uh, unable to to travel there, so it really sucks. But I I completely understand. Hopefully next year they won't have any loss in momentum. You know, when conferences take a year off, a lot of times you never see them again. Um, but in this case, it's not a year off necessarily due to lack of interest or anything. It's just a kind of a forced <laughs> forced timeout, if you will. But hopefully next year people are so anxious to get back into the saddle of cf camp they'll just you know double the attendance that's that's my projection yeah i know i know the real reason is i told them i was going this year so they decided to cancel yeah they're like crap gavin's coming no we don't no, want him here no, no. get rid of it <laughs> even that or my wife talked to them and said hey he's not allowed to go to europe without me <laughs> <laughs> anyway so just bring her along that's been my solution that's, i've only that's gone I tried one to year do, but as a i've teacher, only gone one year without my wife and or some other part of my kids i'm mean, it makes it more expensive but then i don't have the whole you ran off to europe without me you know thing that i have to deal with when i get home <laughs> yeah and i mean that's what i was looking to do but teachers don't have uh, much vacation time but it was uh, looking like it was actually going to be right at thanksgiving time the week before and so we could probably get away with that but they, they have a rule that you can get pto as a teacher you know but you can't basically no one can know why you're off or that you're off. So it would have to like do no social media or anything. Wait, no. Why can nobody know why you're off? Because you're not supposed to be you know, vacationing, you know, personal time off is for emergency oh type stuff. Gosh. Vacations are vacations as a teacher. Anyways. I mean, I get it. Teaching is super important, but I mean, everybody's got a vacation. I mean, uh, whatever. This has nothing to do with cold fusion. Yeah. They, can't they solve all the world's problems here. They think the five weeks they get off plus all of summer is enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be great if everything you needed to do could be scheduled in that window, but yeah. Well, that's the funny thing too, is like out of all the office workers and district administration, like they're taking vacation now. I'm like, you had a summer too. You could have scheduled some of your time off then as well. You know, now you're back pandemics in everyone's calling and sorry, half the office on vacation. <laughs> Dan card says in the chat, support your local substitute teachers. Take PTO. Yeah. But I know it's funny, you don't even know how to sub right now because, uh, you know, you got to give away all your Zoom access so your sub can get into your classes and stuff. So it's kind of, they're like, how do we even do that? It's kind of Oh crazy. my, yeah, I have a house full of kids right now, all forced into online schooling, trying to figure out Zoom links and class schedules. It's it's an absolute mess, but it's, it's, getting, good times. it's getting better. They're learning. Unfortunately, yeah, the teachers don't always even know how to operate Zoom, which <laughs> makes it very interesting, but... Yeah. How about those Lucy updates? Yeah. So um, I see that there was a, a problem fixed with the array each. Um, and so that was some excessive memory usage when you're using array each. It would basically duplicate the page context for each item. Yeah. See, here's, 
I need to do some testing. I'm not sure. This is my ticket. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to use strong verbiage like fixed in relation to this ticket. <laughs> um, I think maybe it's been improved, but after several conversations with Misha proxy through uh, Zach Spitzer, I'm still unclear on whether the ticket has actually been fixed to my liking or just smoothed over a bit. Um, but yeah, but basically what happens is, um, you know, with the array each, also a struct each and, and query each functions. And Lucy, there's this amazing capability where after the closure, you can just pass true for the parallel flag. And instead of just iterating over serially, it spawns up by default 20 threads and it iterates over them all in parallel, which can be just amazing for performance. Um, what it's not amazing at is if you're looping, you know, 40, 50,000 times, every single thread uh, that's spun up clones the parent page context um, once for every time it loops. And so if you have 40, 50,000 items in the array, you clone the parent page context 40 to 50,000 times, which includes the entire servlet request object, which, are, which includes all the parsing of the form scope and then the, you know, uploaded variables, everything all gets cloned and it's, ex it's extremely heavy. And the overhead that I said, I've had at least two clients that have run into this where the, you know, the memory usage on our server just blows up because they're trying to do parallel processing. Um, so obviously it's, it, it was a sort of a, a quick and easy implementation that was very wasteful. You know, if there's only 20 threads. Why are we cloning a page context more than 20 times, you know? So this ticket was to address it. However, there, the ticket was sort of eased into with a couple like, yeah, we sort of vaguely improved it. I'm like, okay, no, but how about we fix it the way I said so? Um, unfortunately, that's a common, <laughs> a commonality on, on Lucy tickets is, uh, thank you for your improvement. However, I believe I was explicit in my ticket on how I expect you to fix it. Um, I know there, nobody's obligated to listen to me, but I still try to make them. So I'll need to do some testing <laughs> on this to see if it's really fixed to my liking. But I'm, I'm very happy to see that it's been improved upon um, again, because like I said, I have a couple clients and even my own personal use where I love the, the simplicity of the asynchronicity. But the, you know, the duplication of the page context stuff just made it uh, unusable within, you know, with tens of thousands of items. So uh, yeah. good, good stuff, though. Good stuff. Yep, and it looks like they had a, a release candidate uh, dropped as well for five point seven, for, sorry, five point three point seven four two, and then five point three point eight was coming yeah, out. Yeah, don't hurt yourself. I know. Um, sorry, trying to read numbers is hard. James Moberg <laughs> in the chat to answer your question, you said is ACF like that or just Lucy? Adobe Cold Fusion doesn't have the parallel flag on their array each, so there's no such feature. Um, in Adobe Cold Fusion, which is a real shame because it is brilliant. It's a brilliant feature in Lucy. I absolutely love it. It's just dead easy to use, uh, but there is no equivalent in Adobe Cold Fusion. So uh, now you may be asking if the CF thread tag in general duplicates the page context. And the answer is I don't know. Adobe Cold Fusion is closed source, so I have no clue what they do. Um, but yes, yeah, so the for Lucy's kind of been stuck in a rut for like six months now or so. Well, no, no, no. It was a what, June, July? Anyway, it's been a while. They've had uh, uh, Lucy 537 has been a release candidate, meaning, you know, typically release candidate means this is ready for production. As long as we don't find any bugs, we're going to release it soon. Um, and then Lucy 538 was the current, you know, snapshot builds of Lucy. But the 537 uh, RC kind of just sat and like gathered dust and never really, it never went stable. It never really went anywhere. So um, I know that... Uh, that Misha was working on fixing a few regressions that have been found, which is why they had the new 537 release candidate, the second release candidate, which was like, okay, now for real, we'll release this one. So I'm really hoping that comes out soon. Um, 
because it's, it's just long of a tooth. There's fixes in that 537RC that are that are months and months old at this point. And obviously, I mean, 538 at this point should be should be close to an RC anyway. So cool. Good. Good to see the activity. Yep. Uh, well, let's talk about online CF meetup. So last week, Charlie snuck in a, a meetup after I, we did the podcast. We didn't even announce it. But this week, we're just in time. So um, this Thursday. Just in time. That's a TV show, you know, right? Yeah. So this is Thursday, September 17th at 12 Eastern, we have a special uh, getting the band back together episode. So we have using CF APIs with a Jamstack with some names you might recognize, Raymond Camden, Brian Rinaldi, and Dan Wilson. What is the Jamstack? Jamstack, that's, uh, that's the thing Ray's been working a lot with lately. So it's the JavaScript um, Angular Monger stack, I think. Why is this relevant to ColdFusion developers? Because it's using CF APIs with the Jamstack. If you listen to the first half, you'd find out. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was going through the docs, highlighting all the uh, the tweets we're going to talk about. Oh, okay. oh yeah, I was just, just, just curious. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so it's kind of interesting. You know, some of the people that used to work in ColdFusion all the time, and they're they're basically presenting on you know how to integrate ColdFusion APIs with those these features, but. Uh, yeah, it's kind of strange, you know, people move away and do different things and, you know, you see them coming back. Uh, Dan Wilson's helping Charlie try and get, see if the online CF meetup moving. And so Which I really appreciate. I've loved seeing all the new content on there. And so props to Dan Wilson for doing that. I know it hasn't all been like hardcore Cold Fusion, um, but I mean, you know, that's fine as long as it's applicable to the community. So I'm loving seeing it back in the saddle again. Yep, and then uh, so that one's going to be this Thursday, and they're actually doing a live stream on YouTube for for the first time. Normally, they just do uh, they were using Adobe Connect. Now they started <laughs> using Zoom, so now they're using uh, Steamyard um, to do streaming it that way. So pretty interesting. I think that's probably a good direction. Um, yeah, I, I mean anything that makes it more accessible. And for sure, I don't think you can get much more accessible than a a YouTube stream. Exactly. And then, so last week we did miss Charlie's. We didn't have the announcement. I think it went out right after the show. But September 10th at 12 Eastern, Charlie did differences between CF Enterprise and Standard Edition more mm, than you yeah. think. So this is a really good one for those people who are like paying for Enterprise and they wanted to maybe downgrade to Standard, but they want to make sure they can do what they need to do and don't get burnt for it. So Charlie you know, went it, through all of it and explained how it all works. And Yeah, it's kind of funny because um, you said it was good for people paying for Enterprise to know what they had. Um, I actually heard from a, a client that we work with that I think has some standard licenses and he was actually a little pissed at the limitations he had with standard. Um, but it, it was sort of moot because he's on his way to Lucy. So yeah, <laughs> those were no longer going to be limitations. Some of the big stuff was like threading. Um, you know, he, he had tried, he was really excited about CF thread and he's, you know, tried to jump on it and use it. And then was like, what? I only get, you know, a handful of CF threads that can execute at once. What the crap, you know? And so he just didn't even try to use the feature. Um, yeah. But anyway, no, that's a really good session though, because you know over time things change too. A lot of things started mm -hmm. out in enterprise and they moved them down to standard and vice versa. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, a lot of people can't name the differences or can't name many differences. So it's it was yeah. a good session to let people know what the differences are. And you know, it's like, why would I pay more for enterprise? Well, these this is why this is what you're paying for. So yep, exactly. And so the recording is available <coughs> on YouTube with the rest of the the playlist. So we'll share that for everybody in the chat room. Or you can wait for the show notes. Okay, and then I'm actually presenting on um, 
building an API with uh, online CF meetup. Uh, the date I think is going to be October 2nd, um, but it hasn't been released just yet. So uh, hopefully they'll get that, that released and I'll give you the link so you can go check it out and say you're coming. But um, is it going to be a Cold Fusion API? Yes, it will be. Okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's sort of it's going to be a two part. I'm actually going to do another one in November, sort of building, uh, working our way up to building APIs with Cold Fusion and then building Coldbox APIs. <laughs> so, going to sort of nice. show them all the goodies they can do in just Cold Fusion. You have, like the, way, them, you have like the way not to do it, and then you had the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, here, this is how you can do it, and this is how you can do it much easier, much better, basically. Uh, I'm so biased. Yep. And then like, uh, I have another sim uh, webinar too on the 25th of, um, so not this Friday, next Friday, <laughs> I'm doing an Audis webinar, Modern Cold Fusion, no more copy and paste. So mm -mm, No more, none, no, yeah. not a bit. Nope. So we're going to show you some ways to improve your coding practices, use some <laughs> best practices on, you know, using dry code, don't repeat yourself and mm -hmm. trying to make your code more maintainable across a single project, but also multiple projects. So. We should come up with an acronym WET that means something as well. So your code can be dry and your code can be wet. What, what would it be? W-E-T. Use some suggestions in the chat. Yeah, I'll have to think about that later. Wild elephants. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll come up with something. It'll be good. Oh, so Charlie said no. JavaScript API is a markup. So I wonder if that means it wasn't CFML related. Anyways. I don't know where that, how that leaked in. All right, so. Dan Card has one. Wet could stand for wasted extra time. So you don't want wet code because it's wasted extra time. I like that. You should use that. Yeah. You want. That's pretty good, actually. You want dry code. Don't repeat yourself. Yeah. There we go. From wet to dry. I like that. We might have to patent that one. Copyright it. <laughs> trademark it. Watch out. Luis will have it <laughs> trademarked in a domain bot before you know it. Oh, okay. So Charlie was explaining, sorry, that Jamstack is Java APIs and markup. My bad. Oh. Or JavaScript APIs and markup. So even better. Because, yeah, I was thinking, yeah. Anyway, that's what happens when I guess. I guess wrong. That's the beauty of a, an acronym, right? You can make it mean whatever you want. So next up, though, we've got some updates on CFCast. So CFCast is our content subscription service, and we offer some free content as well as some paid content. And this week, there are a couple of series that were released. So my Supercharge Your VS Code environment, the first couple of videos have dropped there. So if you want to see more about using VS Code, you can check out the intro and also the getting started with the CFML extension. So there's a couple of videos there to get you going. Uh, nice. And then build a blog with Quick. Uh, Eric is releasing a new series showing you how to actually build a blog using Quick because a lot of people are wanting to find out more about Quick and how to use it. So he's released the first three there. So you can get the introduction to the series, getting started, and then displaying a list of posts. So And so when he's done, he'll have Content Box rewritten in Quick? Is that the... No, but uh, that would be kind of cool. We've talked about uh, <laughs> converting it over to Quick. Um, <laughs> I know Luis is working on ContentBox 5, and he's you know changing a lot of the Hibernate um, quer criteria queries into just QB, and that'll sort of bridge the, the gap when we're moving <laughs> yeah. towards Quick later. So, uh, But yeah, so there's uh, five new videos released since uh, last week. So I'm excited about your VS Code stuff. I just uh, I was playing with VS Code the other day, kind of, pushing the limits i had some like some sql files that were gigabytes in size that i couldn't even get an editor that would open um and so i tried vs code and vs code will open like 
four gig text files. Now it's a little slow, which is understandable, but it actually worked without crashing. I was, I was pretty impressed with how it handled it. it you know, it popped up as like, hey, you need to restart VS Code with more memory. And I'm like, okay, do it. And then it opened up the file. I'm like, dang. Yeah. Everything that, else I tried just fell on its face. Yeah, I used to use Sublime for those types of things when I was really crunching huge logs and everything. Sublime was really low, low power. I thought as an Electron app, VS Code might have a little more trouble, but it's nice that they gave you that option it, for more memory when you opened it. I mean, like I said, it was slow, but I mean, it worked. And so I was like... That's pretty cool. All right, Evagoras has another wet uh, acronym for us. Write everything twice. Or it could even be thrice. Write everything thrice. Three times. Interesting. That's oh. good as well. All right, keep them coming, guys. Keep them coming. Okay, while, while you next? guys do that, let's get on some conferences here. <coughs> so, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Into the Box 2020 workshops. We have uh, the two-day workshop, Coldbox Zero to Hero, led by me. It's going to be October 8th and 9th. So two-day workshop, and then Luis is going to be doing the Coldbox Hero to Superhero October 22nd and 23rd. The events page is now up and running, so if you go over to autosolutions.com slash events, you can see you can read more about the, the two sessions, and you can also buy tickets. Those tickets are available, and if you're using the podcast 10 code, you can save 10% off of our trainings there. So definitely remember that, podcast 10. And those are not one, but two-day workshops. How many seats do we have available in each of those? Is it 10 seats? I believe we're aiming for 10. 10 is a, you know, a good number for these trainings just so we can you know, make sure we mm -hmm. see everybody. It's even hotter in Zoom. Um, you know, I to, agree. Uh, normally, we just kind of walk around behind you and snoop on you, <laughs> make sure you're not on Facebook and that you're not struggling with anything, and we can help. You have to be a little more brave and say, I got a problem and, you know, share your screen so we can see. And, uh, but it's, it's a good learning experience too. You know, this way, even more so because everyone can see your error and they can all learn. A lot of times when I help somebody, I'll usually tell everybody else what I just helped solve. <laughs> but, um, it's kind of good because if they're actually paying attention to the Zoom call as well, they can actually see the problem, <coughs> see you work through it. And yeah, we can just share their screen. Everybody can watch us work through. Yeah, so I know some people are a little, you know, a little nervous, but I found the groups is actually been pretty good. Uh, most people, um, you know, are pretty good about sharing, and it does make a big difference. You know, that's the big thing about these trainings, and that's why we still offer them in person like this because, you know, we could give you the videos, and we're planning on doing, uh, you know, the, the instructor basically recorded uh, trainings, but they're not quite the same as that interaction, you know, especially with as much hands-on as we try and do in these trainings. So, yeah. Okay, so next up on the list, we have the jsconf.dev. So just a reminder that September 30th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So if you go to jconf.dev, you can register for that. It is free, and there's lots of great Java content for that conference. Did you say jsconf the first time? Oh, if I did, I apologize. <laughs> I mean jconf. There is a jsconf, but not this, yeah, not this time. Okay, next up on the list, we have Adobe Cold Fusion Summit 2020, and that's going to be November 17th through the 19th. That's going to be online, and the admission is free. If you go to cfsummit.wevents.com, you can get more information on that, and they've actually updated the site with some more information, so let me show you that. So here, uh, you can see that they've actually started to give you a glimpse of the speakers for 2020. So if you see all speakers, it looks like they've got the first 12 up there right now. 
And I'm not sure if that's the final lineup or if they're still picking uh, recommendations nice. for that. Yeah, I saw Mark's tweet um, about having a topic uh, accepted. Yep. Or and, Fat Panther as he goes on Twitter. Yep. So there's uh, some sponsors up there already. Uh, now, the link to do the form for registration is not there anymore, but if you go to the page, it's still there. So I think it's closed, but if you're sneaky, you can still get to it, but you may be too late. So you're talking about for speaker submissions? Yeah, speaker submissions. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the speaker submission, if you go slash speakers, you can submit it. Uh, sorry, speaker dash application. You can submit the application, but they may ignore you because it's too late. So, but, uh, to be ignored. Yep. And they also have the Adobe Confusion certification is online. So if you want to, you can actually, uh, go ahead and take that online um, and sign up. It's 50 <coughs> hours of online videos, um, and they've got a multiple-choice question at the end of it. 50 hours, five zero hours. Yep. But That's if you, a lot of hours. Yeah, it is. Um, if you go through the whole process and pass the test, you get a badge on the coldfusions.adobe.com forum site now. So next to your name, you have this pretty little badge, and you also get a, a nice certificate from Adobe. So... Uh, they're doing a few extra things there. So we have a blog link and a registration link for that. Um, so you can find out more about it in the show notes. And we already mentioned CF Camp is not happening in 2020. Hopefully it'll be back and better and better than ever in 2021. Okay, so let's get into the blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So we've got uh, an interesting one here from Benedio to start. Because... Uh, the thing that really surprised me, to be honest, was right here he says he's had a been feeling creatively blocked. So he's only got like ten blog posts this week. So I'm I'm not oh sure. Oh my gosh! I know What's the, wrong, man. Yeah, exactly. Really falling down. <laughs> he says that work's been uh, taking a lot of out of him, um, and some of the other blog posts that he has this this week may be related <laughs> to that. So basically, he just sort of wanted to do a little brain test. So build a little code cutter. So he wanted to build a fluent API, not an actual fluent API API, but a fluent, um, basically a builder. So he's going to basically build a URL builder. So do something like this URL builder dot with protocol dot with host dot with path with pram with pram. And so basically create something similar to the way sort of hyper works, but this is just a URL builder. So like build event in, in Coldbox or something like that. So it goes through the process of uh, building out the, you know, the function, the URL builder, and then all the different pieces to chain it, etc. So, uh, but he's using closures inside of it to actually build the different sub functions. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, as he mentioned, you know, it's just a fun little experiment. It's not super robust or whatever, but um, yeah, just, just sort of fun. It was interesting too, just sort of seeing how to use them with, with closures inside of the, the other functions. So, yeah, I'm just kind of looking what he has here is kind of interesting because instead of just having a bunch of public methods on a component, he has a struct, which is the builder API, and then a bunch of UDFs shoveled in the struct. Interesting. I'm just curious, because I mean, I've never seen it done this way. We use a lot of builder patterns in Coldbox and, and Commandbox, and typically it's just a CFC instance you create, and all, it just has a bunch of methods that all just return this. And so, you know, you chain the methods together, and, you, you know, each intermediate, um, uh, you know, method call just returns back the original CFC. 
Um, yeah, it almost reminds me of JavaScript with you, how you've got all these functions in a struct that has data and it has functions and it's kind of, you know, very JavaScript object-y. Yeah, I'm just trying to decide if there's actually any benefit to having an intermediate struct that you return with the methods in it. Uh, I mean, I guess what's the purpose of the... Oh, I see. So he doesn't actually have a component instance then. He literally just has a URL builder Function. method. Yeah, function, uh, UDF, which uses the, the struct as the holder for the methods. Yeah, um, yeah I guess it does feel approach. sort of JavaScript-y. Um, if it was Java, it would absolutely be a class. If it was CFML, I guess you can do both. That's interesting. See, I, I would never really, I would just create the CFC. I wouldn't think to use a struct. But, yeah. I mean, it is definitely a cool thing. You can take a struct and just um, slap methods in it. The reason I don't typically do that is because... I can't store state inside of a struct, which is why I'm actually kind of looking at this, trying to look to see what he's doing. Like, where is he storing it? Oh, I see he's wrapping every function with a make fluent callback. Seems a little just overcomplicated. Yeah, like I said, I think he's more trying to see if he could do it more than, you know, <laughs> than if you should do it. And he even says that in the last paragraph, you know, like, I'm not recommending this and just <laughs> yeah. trying it out. It is, it is I mean, because it's, it's a really cool thing that you can take a struct and call in CFML, you can slap, you know, UDFs into it, closures, whatever. Um, and you can pass it around, you can call it and almost make it look like an object. But what sucks, it would be, it would be cool if this in Cold Fusion was a reference to the struct itself if you were inside of a, a function, because JavaScript has a bit more kind of contextualization on that. You know, you can say this, and it's a reference to the object that the, the method lives inside of. In ColdFusion, you can't do that, which is why I don't ever just stick UDFs inside of a struct, because I can't, you know, there's no, like, shared storage, because uh, it's not an actual, like, you know, component instance. So for, you know, builder DSLs, it's usually a component instance that stores the state inside of it, you know, and the fluent methods are, are more, more or less just setters, if you will. Um, but yeah, so it appears that um, the way he's doing it, he's wrapping each one in a closure, which allows him to keep a reference to all the arguments that are passed in. Definitely kind of interesting. Yeah, like I said, I, I like just the way Ben says, okay, here's the problem. Let me turn it on its head and try hitting it from a different side. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes you think. And, you know, that's one thing about Cold Fusion. It's so dynamic. You can do all sorts of crazy things. You don't have to do it one way. And yeah. It makes me makes me think. So next up, we have a tweet from Zach Spitzer, and he's talking about the CF thread documentation being updated. So he's gone through and done some work on this. It's always good when documentation gets updated. Yeah, I didn't have a note because he was talking to me about this in Slack. It didn't have a note um, that you could. It, it lists all of the the top level attributes to the CF thread tag, uh, but it didn't mention that you can pass in obviously any additional attributes of your own design which flow through into the attribute scope. Which was interesting is his initial version of that um, documentation update said to access it in the arguments scope. And I was saying, that's not right. It shouldn't be an argument. See if it's a tag, it should be in the attribute scope. And apparently uh, it's a behavior I wasn't aware of. In Adobe Confusion, uh, you can't access the argument scope inside of a CF thread. But in Lucy, when you call CF thread in, a, in script using the script syntax, any additional attributes you pass in are available in the attribute scope and the argument scope, mm. which I think is a bug. I don't think that's right. I think Lucy's doing something sloppy inside 
and allowing you to access it through arguments, but it's not a method. So there shouldn't be an argument scope. It's a tag. There should only be an attribute scope. Anyway, it's an interesting oh. discovery that, that, that we made on that. And I also had, I, I suggested to Zach, which he, he tossed in there, uh, that it should be worth mentioning that the Adobe implementation of CF thread will pass by value, meaning it duplicates any um, complex object like CFC instances or, or structs or arrays that you pass in as the attribute to CF thread. Um, and Lucy does not, it passes us through by reference. And I much, much prefer the Lucy um, implementation is potentially more dangerous, but infinitely more powerful and doesn't have the potential of taking down your server because you're duplicating giant object graphs of CFCs without realizing it. Because I've talked to so many people that had no clue when they do CF thread, random input equals some CFC instance, that that thing's having a deep copy performed on it before it's passed to the thread, um, which actually makes it harder to share state between the main page thread and the threads you're spinning off because you can't share you yeah. know, complex variables between them. This kind of falls in the category, in my opinion, of Adobe putting up like bumper lanes like, oh, you guys aren't smart enough to be able to, you know, watch out for concurrency. Don't worry. Daddy Adobe will fix it. We'll just duplicate everything when we pass it into the thread. I'm like, ah, no, why? Why would you do that? Um, Lucy doesn't do it, which is like, thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah. I want to duplicate it. If, if I want to shoot myself in the foot, I will do so. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> quit duplicating crap, Adobe. But yeah. Yep, for sure. Good stuff. Okay, next up, we have a tweet from this guy, Bradwood. Um, Loser. But So apparently two more pull requests from the Autist team got merged into the JBoss Undertow project. And one was a pretty large revamp of predicate <laughs> logging that will benefit the command box users. I like your spelling of benefit. Uh, what of course, spelled you, wrong? Oh, you can't oh you're right. Get at that anyway. But, That's uh, so, so we want to tell us why that will benefit us? Um, it'll benefit you because I said so, dang it. Uh, no, so uh, the next version of Command Box has actually been taking bloody forever to release because this time, instead of waiting on Lucy like I usually am, I've been waiting on Undertow to, to merge this pull request, which will be part of Undertow 2.2 um, because we've added a new uh, feature in Command Box 5.2, which lets you tap into the so-called predicate language in Undertow and JBoss Undertow. And it's uh, sort of a DSL, you will, a string that you can specify to... Uh, add rewrites, to add security, to add, you know, special response codes, the kind of stuff that you do with like, you know, mod rewrite or stuff like that. Uh, but instead of using the Tucky library like Command Box has used in the past, this is actually built into Undertow um, and it's super fast and it's a lot easier to configure. And so we tapped into that um, in the latest version of Command Box, but the logging to be able to troubleshoot it and debug it was severely lacking compared to what the Tucky library gave us. So I sent a giant pull request to Undertow that added a whole bunch of logging into the, the core of Undertow that um, you'll be able to activate um, and tap into in Command Box. And I was actually kind of surprised the the maintainers of Undertow, um, I, mean, I, I, I touched like 120 files in the Undertow source code and they really didn't have like any feedback at all. They were like, oh, it looks good to me. Can you, uh, can you, you know, merge these commits into one? I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's all you need is just the commits, you know, squashed. Um, I assume they read all the code I typed. I mean, I tested it, it works. Um, so I was a little surprised how, how trusting they seemed to be. Um, but anyway, it, it finally got merged after like two weeks of me harassing them on GitHub. I'm like, hey guys, are you gonna merge this? 
Um, and so it's going to come out soon and in Undertow 2.2. Uh, so that'll make three pull requests now that um, Team Ordis, because Miguel's been helping me as well, has been able to get into the core of Undertow. Um, I actually have more code merged into Undertow right now than I do in Lucy. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Take I like that to mean what you want, but and I like how the pull request is pull nine one one. Yes, craziness there, but. Uh... Just a side note too, Charlie said that in CF2016, they added a pass array by reference setable at the app level, which can control the passing arrays by reference or value, but he's not sure if that relates to threads or any way. So, yeah, I don't think that applies to the CF thread tag. Um, but we might have did some of that. That just applies to passing them into, into functions and things like that. Um, it is, it's worth noting here that Lucy and before that Rilo, always since version one, always, always passed arrays by, uh, by reference. Um, that was one of those non-compatibility things that was done on purpose and they had no intentions of changing. Um, of course, in 2016, it's still, I believe, defaults to be being by value. Um, yeah, for back you have to toggle the flag. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, next up, we have another one from Benny Dell. And this is a little series he has on cookies. So apparently the first cookie wins when conflicting cookie names are used with different settings in Lucy. Um, so... He says uh, a lot of things can go wrong when you do a production change messing with cookies, and that's what <laughs> happened. Um, and so, you know, they got a little burned by unexpected behaviors. And basically, uh, you know, ColdFusion creates conflicting cookie names with different domain settings. Um, and what they were trying to do was basically use a, a local.envisionapp.com to a projects.local.envisionapp.com. So they're going more specific. But basically, you know, the way it works, the browser, it sends everything to the server and the server uses a struct. And so, you know, basically you can override the, those keys in the struct and um, basically the first, first cookie wins. Um, and so he was working through that issue and try to, you know, have some reuse, reuse cases and everything. I'm curious if this works the same in every browser. Yeah, it's a good question. And so... Yeah, I've had a lot of headaches with cookies lately, and uh, they're not fun. But yeah, it's, it's weird because you get headers saying, hey, create these cookies, but they're not always there. Or uh, like in the browser, they're case sensitive, but inside mm -hmm. of ColdFusion, they're not because ColdFusion is not case sensitive. So um, it's very interesting. Um, definitely want to you know read through this if you're messing with cookies and having some issues. But yeah, you'll it'll basically show you the different ways um that it it sets up but it looks like yeah first cookie wins and it essentially will expire so, the other ones automatically yeah so we had two domain two domain cookies one on a subdomain and one on a sub subdomain both of which applied to the page the browser sends them both and then lucy kind of just picks one yep so i'm curious if adobe also picks the first one yeah, that's probably, a, I mean, because somewhere, you know, in the bootstrapping code of Lucy and Adobe, you know, is some code that loops over the actual, you know, servlet um, request array of cookies or object of cookies, whatever it is, you know, and builds the cookie scope out of them. And it kind of makes you wonder if they even handle cookies of duplicate names or if it just depends on how the, how the loop was written as to, you know, which one actually ends up in the cookie scope. Yep. And that leads us to the next blog post. This is... I think earlier as well, 
Existing cookies with the same name and Lucy. So it talks about how cold fusion basically, you know, they'll, col they'll collide and override each other because there's only one in the cookie scope. But if you use the get mm -hmm. HTTP request data, you can get access to the HTTP headers and get access to more of that information. And so that allows you to get, you know, all the details in there and then you can go through and figure it out. And so, yeah, you know, uppercase, you, lowercase, all those things. If you different. look at the, you know, your debugging tab in your browser, all the cookies just come through as one giant string in a yep. header called cookie. And all that, you know, Lucy or Adobe Cold Fusion is doing, I, honestly, it's being parsed by the server container first. But, you know, that string's being parsed and then eventually bubbles down into the actual cookie scope. But that's a good, that's a good point he has. If you need to get them specifically, you can dip down into those request headers, get the cookie header and do your own poking yeah. at it with a stick. Yep, exactly. And he has a nice little code to, to map over the list and, you know, set them all up. Because basically, like you said, they're one big cookie string. It would, pro well, I, I hate to use phrases like it would be better because better is probably subjective. If I were to do this, I would actually get the Sterlet request object from the page context. And I would probably use its methods to get the cookies, which is probably some stupid collection or iterable or something in Java. Um, which is already parsed, but still case sensitive, as opposed to rewriting any kind of parsing logic, just since there's always edge cases you might not account for. That's a good recommendation. If you're, well, when you listen, Ben, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and what he has totally works. I'm just thinking like, there's really multiple ways to get to it. Yeah, but essentially I, the cookie scope is limited because of cold fusions. It is, but I mean, I always recommend developers understand how cookies are passed to and from the browser. Because I think a lot of times people assume there's a bit more magic than there is, and they're not sure how to troubleshoot it. So, I mean, the gist of what Ben's doing is really great because it's focusing in on, I mean, how do the cookies really make it to the browser and how do they make it back? And when you understand that, you can trace through and find problems like, oh, yeah, I have two cookies with the same name that my browser's sending. Um, and a lot of times, I it seems I run into developers that have problems with cookies and they don't really know how they magically come in from the browser. And it's not that hard. I mean, it's right there in the, in the browser debugging. So... Yep. This is good information from Ben. Yeah, I so said we've been dealing with a whole bunch of cookies lately, trying to get apps from JavaScript to talk I, to. I think I APIs know what and... what client project you're talking about, Gavin. Yes, painful, <laughs> and mainly because we're just not sure what's going on. It changes day to day. <laughs> mm, good times. Okay, so we have a few from Vildebrun uh, this week, and one of them is validate or fail filtering your request collection. So a couple of weeks back, he blogged about advantages of validating your request scope versus your model. And he says it's even better to validate both of them. So if you validate your request scope using validate or fail, it'll actually return you a cleaned up um, request scope. So your RC scope that you pass into the validate or fail, it'll only give you back the keys you're actually validating. And so you can use that to then populate your model and you're even better. So this basically walks through that process. And, and to be to be clear, this is in the context of the CB validation module for the Colbox MVC framework, right? Correct. Yeah, sorry. I... Got it. Yep. Thanks for being clear. So yeah. So as you can see here, the validated object are all the structure fields that were validated. So um, I did have a question about this though with me the other day, talking about nulls versus empty strings and if they're valid or not. And uh, it was it was pretty interesting, but 
yeah so this blog post goes goes through that that endpoint sort of showing you how to go and validate your fields and how the rc scope can be cleaned up but uh, it's part of what we did in the fluent api presentation i did a few months back and we did a webinar on it too but uh but yeah it's a good blog post thanks for sharing that as well very nice and then and then he has uh two on cf compile as well so to the rescue yeah so basically in this one here cf compile to the rescue part two the short of it is cf compile is a little module that um p Freitag oh, built and come out yeah, i know what prompted this because i saw this lucy ticket he created on this <laughs> yeah so long story short um sometimes you get this really weird error from lucy um and it looks like this you know expression and statement cannot be cast to you know tag component and he says it's about as useful as your average hibernate error message and he's correct mm. <laughs> sometimes it shows file names and line counts but a lot of times it doesn't uh, even with debugging information but you can not see that most and, com compilation errors you have to look at the tag stack and if you're lucky that will tell you but not always yeah, and so that's where the CF compile module comes in because if you got one of those weird errors, it can help you look and try and figure out, you know, does it compile? If it doesn't, what didn't compile? And so, uh, much, much yeah. better. I mean, because it can be as simple as just a missing semicolon, like he says. Um, but, you know, the error message doesn't always make it clear even what CFC is in reference to, let alone the line number. And that can leave you just staring at your screen with this really generic error. And maybe you have hundreds of files, thousands of files in your app, and you have no clue which one the error even happened in. So I don't know if you read this or not, but uh, looking at this little bit of code right here, Brad, can you see the error? Um, there's not a semicolon after the returns. Oh no, he has two colons. <laughs> is that the error? Well, that could be one of the errors. That's, that is one thing, but component he was having issues where if the, the components curly brace is not on the same line, what? it would actually uh, give that weird error. And so CF format, <laughs> was formatting his code and putting, you know, if he had attributes for component, oh, it was putting the CF format, the opening curly brace from the component on the next line. And it works most of the time. It looks like it's fine. There's no problem anywhere except for uh, get that weird error. And so he gets through this and that's the short of it though. Basically, you know, he had 150 components and, uh, see a format would format his code like this. If he had multiple lines and that would basically be the problem. Uh, you know, did he put and, in a ticket for the actual parsing error? Well, he said if you put the the CF component stuff on the same line, it would at least give you the the line number. You know, so that was. Uh, well, no, I'm curious if he, put, if he put in a ticket for the actual bug of the syntax error when the curly brace isn't in the same line. I'm, I'm looking not at sure. the actual ticket he put in. The ticket yeah. he put in was 3060. Uh, two days ago, Get component metadata does not show error details. Yeah. Okay, so he does use that as an example in his ticket description. Honestly, I think this I think this deserves two tickets. One ticket for the parsing, the fact that it doesn't parse correctly, and another ticket for the fact that when it doesn't parse correctly, the error message sucks. I mean, they're obviously related, but what 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 I'm what I'm afraid will happen with things like this is, you know, the ticket will be quote fixed end quote with um, okay, it no longer errors with parsing, but you're like, okay, but did you improve the error message for when there is an error like this? Oh, no, we didn't do that, and, which is why I say the two tickets are good. Yeah, and he says it's just an error in the get component metadata, so everything else works fine. It's just See, and that's not that. even right, 
because Git component metadata sh should should be able to parse the same things that just creating a component does. Yeah, and that's the weird thing because you know it already came up when Wirebox was using it, you know, trying to get metadata, and so yeah, yeah, because so. Wirebox uses that behind the scenes. And obviously, if you're not familiar, Git metadata you can pass a CFC instance into, but Git component metadata allows you to pass a string which is the dot notation path to the CFC, which then behind the scenes just instantiates um, an instance of the CFC and then gets the metadata out of it. Um, so of course, you know, compiling it as, as necessary. Yeah, and so the, the first part of that series, the CF compiler, the rescue one, gives you a little more about how to install the CF compiler and how to use it and you know what type of output it gives you and, and how to go about finding the problem and fixing it. So um, yeah. So he says, until he improves his touch typing skills and keeps the cat away from his keyboard and see if compile's going to be his friend. <laughs> Keep the cats away from the keyboard. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you also had a blog post. Uh, I did. You, you tried to wipe it out of the database, but it, it came back. The cat came back. Yep, sure did. <laughs> um, yeah, apologize. Apologies to anybody who tried to read the blog post and got an error on my, my blog. Had a little server snafu but it's all there it's yeah. all there so we talked a couple weeks ago was it two weeks ago that we talked about this yeah we talked two weeks ago <laughs> i think um eric and i talked a little bit about it last week for you <clears throat> okay yeah like we'd uh I'd, I'd been talking on twitter about the the sort of horrible um query of query performance and lucy and and gert and misha have always just kind of told people oh yeah it performs probably just don't use it um and it always just assumed that meant like you know we tried as hard as we could and it can't be made any faster um, but we had a, a client with some code that ran pretty much great in Adobe Cold Fusion and, and their attempts to migrate to Lucy had certain pages in their app that would call, you know, over a thousand query queries in one page. And the, the, the page was just crawling. And when they threw load at the server, just two or three users concurrently hitting the page, that the server would just crash. And so, you know, in looking at it, um, we found some significant issues with how Lucy does query queries. The biggest one is that Lucy has three different query query implementations internally. Um, and, and there's the, the great thing, and I use great in quotes with sarcasm, is you have no <laughs> clue which one's being used because they're all just wrapped in try catches. And if one errors, Lucy just shrugs, discards the error, and moves on to the next implementation, just hoping that, you know, maybe it will work better. Uh, so, so Lucy would try to do, you know, an in-memory uh, query for you. And if it failed, it would fall back on this HyperSQL database that it would access via JDBC, which worked for the most part, but it has about a you know a minimum 20 millisecond overhead just for the, the JDBC mechanisms of it. And you multiply that times a thousand query queries on a page, and suddenly you have you know 20 seconds worth of just JDBC overhead. Um, so uh, I was I was complaining and whining two weeks ago <laughs> how I wish I had the time to you know to dig in and try to fix. Lucy's native query query implementation. And so after I was in the podcast last week, um, I met with the client and, you know, I showed him this is, uh, you know, this is, this is what's happening. This is why Lucy is so doggone slow with query queries. And, you know, and we kind of, I tiptoed around it by simplifying all of his query queries to not use any aggregate functions, not use any group by statements, you know, and do it all in cold fusion. Um, and it worked. It was a lot faster, but, you know, he said, I've got, I've got tons and tons of reports in this app I'm converting. Um, you know, and I don't want to spend the time to rewrite all of them to not use query queries. So um, we decided that we'd actually just put some hours into trying to see if we could fix Lucy's query query. Um, and I, I, I pinged Misha and I said, if I do this, will you merge it? 
<laughs> he said, if you write tests for it, sure. So uh, the proof will be in the pudding if it gets merged. It is not merged yet, but I have I have sent a massive pull request. I say massive. I didn't touch as many files as the undertow pull request. Um, I've sent a pull request to, to Lucy that basically kind of completely revamped its query query support. It supports natively without the HyperSQL fallback. Uh, you know, group by having much better distinct all the aggregate functions, um, and it's all just a native implementation. Um, and I tested the ever-loving crap out of it, so I have a whole <laughs> new like bundle of tests I added to Lucy's test suite that hits all these scenarios. Um, Scott Steinbeck helped me do testing. Zach Spitzer helped me do testing. Um, and the best thing is it's like wicked fast. So not only is it faster than Lucy previously in every single test, it's actually faster now than Adobe Cold Fusion 2018 update 10 in like six out of eight of the tests. Um, so uh, hopefully I can get Misha to look at this and merge it into the core because if so, uh, they won't have an excuse to tell people, oh, don't use query queries, it's slow. Because it won't be slow, it'll actually be faster than Adobe. So, yeah, I mean, it's only... pretty crazy. Some of the some of the speeds. I mean, I was looking through one of the graphs. I thought one of your graphs was broken <laughs> as I was just scrolling through for everyone to look at. But it was that, so small that it only the showed graph, the number. That's the graph with the top five. So when you have a select statement with no distinct, no group by, and no order by, and there's a top, you can do like an early return where after you've grab the first five records, you can just exit out. Um, and, and apparently Adobe and, and the previous Lucy implementation weren't doing that. And so my test has like 30,000 rows. Um, yeah, so my test is doing 30,000 rows and you can see that the old Lucy implementation is just horrid because it's falling back to HyperSQL. That's all about JDBC overhead. Adobe's implementation there in yellow wasn't bad, but I optimized what I did enough to where I could do those early returns and say, oh, I have five records. I'm not ordering. I'm not grouping. I'm not distincting. Okay, I'm done here. And yeah, it was nine, nine milliseconds for 100 <laughs> executions of it. Versus 6,344 for the old Lucy and 853 what, for Adobe. And what, what's sad about that is the old Lucy, if you keep that graph up for a second, uh, about six solid seconds of that is purely JDBC overhead, hitting that stupid hypersql database behind and the loading 30,000 records into it. So it can just do a, a exactly. Um, and you'll <laughs> notice I have synchronous and asynchronous testing. And I did that on purpose because the, the old Lucy implementation, whenever it hits HyperSQL, the entire thing's single threaded. So only one query can run at a time, which is just mind bogglingly horrendous because you can see that asynchronicity does nothing for performance in Lucy, which means multiple pe people hitting your site at the same time are all just going to be conflicting each other. So, you know, Adobe at least got faster when you ran it multiple times with threads, but all those Lucy, you know, lines in the graph that fall back to HyperSQL, you can see that running the queries in, you know, concurrently has almost zero benefit because they're all single threaded internally, which is just why it performs so horrendously. Yeah. So, anyway, anyway, that's I can an talk awesome blog post, lots of great graphs, pitches. It's even got Wait, some words if, for those who read. If, if you want to test it, I have two Lucy core files at the bottom of the blog post. One, which is Lucy 536 with my code applied to it. And the other one, which is the 538 snapshot with my code applied to it. So if you want to play around with it, um, you can download those core files. You can drop them in your in your patches folder, and you can try out my code. And please report any bugs you find. There's a couple of JVM args you can enable that'll actually reveal those hidden error messages that are normally just discarded by Lucy. I hate it when it does that. 
Um, so uh, if you're using Lucy and you're like, hey, I wonder if this works with my stuff. I did tons of parser fixes and all kinds of crap. Please give it a test. I have the compiled core files you can drop in, enable those JVM args, so you know if it's blowing up, and, and ping me if you have any problems. So moving okay. on. Yep, let's move on. We're a little slow today. We're talking. I know. So much stuff to talk about. So Ben Adele is also following up on his previous thing about Lucy when you're threading and you have uploaded files. Um, I guess Lucy duplicates all those uh, files for each of your threads and then it doesn't delete them when you're done. So that's not cool. So he was using his KA yeah, operational that. readiness probe to be able to clean up afterwards, but he wanted to do that in Lucy too. So he actually was talking to Zach Spitzer. Zach's really helpful from the Lucy team for this type of stuff. Um, but basically talking about how Lucy already has a background process that monitors the get temp directory contents and deletes temporary files once one of the two conditions are true. And until one of the two conditions is true, there are less than 100,000 files or there are less than one gig's worth of files in aggregate. And so... You know, I think I was checking that a while back. I'm trying to remember if it actually deletes the oldest files first or if it just starts deleting random files when it... Yeah, well, I know that um, Ben found errors. So it was running once hmm. per hour or something, but the task mm -hmm. was failing. So he was failing <laughs> it. So this sort of walks through the process of that and, you know, why it's failing and, and everything. So, yeah. So uh, good old fashioned try catches wrapped around everything with nothing on the catch block. Go to love it. Yeah. So basically, he goes through the process of explicitly deleting temporary upload files in the background, deleting the older files. Um, you know, if it's more so than did he put a minutes. ticket in? for the bug that it doesn't automatically delete the temporary upload files in a thread. I'm scrolling through here and I don't actually see that he put a bug in because I, I assume that's actually. Well, it wasn't working uh, for that. So I'm wondering if there's what the conditions are that it doesn't work. So yeah. Am I, my, what I understood, because I, I skimmed through this uh, blog post a while back, what I understood and I could have been wrong was that if you use, um, if you upload stuff outside of a thread, um, then the, the temp file is removed. But if you did it inside of a thread, it wasn't. Correct. Yeah. But then the and it sounds like a bug in Lucy, which is why I'm curious. Oh, I think in the previous blog post, he, uh, I think he did have a ticket for that. See, when did he post this? September 10th? Yeah, so this other one was September the 6th. Um, so let me see. Did he post a ticket? I'm actually scrolling through an internal Lucy Slack right now, but it has all the tickets to come in to see if I see a ticket. No, I don't see it listed, but maybe I'm. Oh, here we it. go. Um, yeah, the ticket was put in September 6th. It's okay. LDEV 30, oh. uh, 30, 3041. Yep. Temporary upload files persisted indefinitely when using CF thread. Okay, so tickets in. It's actually looked like it's been triaged and it's in the backlog. So, yep. Uh, Pothius already has a. Um, a reproducible case for it it looks like sweet yeah i guess there was another another thing when it's in parallel too so there's 2903 that daymark had found um i guess it's another similar but not yeah the radio each duplicates the upload files in every loop to crashing servers so that was well the, the array that's, each. that's probably because of all the stupid freaking cloning yeah. of the entire page context which includes the server request Con thing which includes all the upload stuff. Ugh. Yep, exactly. That's why I hate that so much. Yep. I hate it, Gavin. 
Exactly. That's probably why that one got fixed as well, because this blog post that Ben wrote brought attention to that. So there we go. Okay. Here's a quick little one from Pete Freitag, but still interesting. Mm -hmm. Now I bet you knew about this, but we'll see. I do. It's my code. It's my code. He saw it in. Oh, okay. The CFML left and right functions can accept negative counts. And I love this. I was actually doing something for my wife today in Excel. If if you look at that some code link, that's actually a link to the command box code. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. But yeah, Yeah. so if you put, if you want the, to do a left and you want to take the, you know, I just want the first five characters of a name you have to do, you know, okay. Left of the string and then five. But if you want to take one character off of it, you usually have to do the length and minus one. Mm -hmm. But if you just do minus one now in Lucy and even Adobe, which I didn't think worked in Adobe for a while, or maybe it was added recently. Yeah. So if you do left, the string and then minus one it'll take the length minus one and so you don't have to worry about doing the math or doing you know length of the string again minus one it'll do it for you same thing for right and i don't know if it did it work for mid that was the the one question i always wonder like you'll take so much off each side (laughs) i don't think it would make any sense to use it with mid yeah i know there was a and there was a use case or an edge case where this didn't work but i think now in adobe and lucy they both work the same way um but he does warn that if you um, have the minus number being bigger than the actual string <laughs> or something like that, you can get all sorts of weird errors or yeah, instead of, just weird things happening too. I think instead of throwing an exception, it just did something unexpected. So maybe yeah. some missing validation. Yep. So it's pretty cool little, yeah, little snippet. Like you said, you knew about it. I've used it before. I like it. And I wish Excel had it too, because I was doing some stuff with that today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times you use, I've had to use, you know, right or left or mid and nested inside of it. You have, you know, my string dot length minus two or something like that. So it kind of just simplifies those examples. Yep. Okay. And next up we have one from Steve Bryant. And so this one's implementing the observer pattern and call fusion with observer.cfc. So apparently he didn't find any, uh, implementation that he liked or loved so he decided to try his hand at it with an observer.cfc so i always like these patterns you know i always think i could learn a little more about design patterns and i've actually got some of my old university books where we did the gang of five and stuff like that and so i feel like getting them out and reading them sometimes but uh that's one of the things i like about all the oldest guys the you always use design patterns and i learn a few things so uh, this blog post is his sort of process of walking through it here. So, so basically, what he's done is rebuilt Colbox interceptors. <laughs> if you use the Colbox MVC framework, you just use an interceptor, and it does this. Yep, because he has even an ounce event, same name. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I even noticed that it's, it's very similar. But I mean, Luis copied a lot of you know, um, just like Luis has a book on the J2EE design patterns. And a lot of the stuff in Coldbox is just straight off the shelf design patterns. And even the names of methods and things follow the, the standard. So it's very recognizable. Yeah. I mean, there isn't, there isn't very many times where we orders just come up with some crazy idea and just do it. You know, we always research other, other languages and frameworks and see how they do it and see if our idea is actually a good way to do it or not. So um, Ryan Gill also did sort of an observable um, thing called a MIT. Uh, which was a copy of a JavaScript library, just for what it's worth in the same topic, the CFML event emitter. Um, hmm. I think it was a bit more functional in how it works as he was copying some JavaScript stuff. 
But yeah, if you just Google CFML emit, you can find Ryan Gill's um, thing. Or okay. just use Colbox and it's baked in. <laughs> yep, sounds good to us. Or just use Colbox. Okay, so next up, we have find a job because we're done with our blog post for the week. There's quite a few this Finally. week. Yeah. So next up, uh, our CFML jobs. So if you go to getcfmljobs.com, you'll see there's 22 <laughs> listings over 14 companies across 10 locations in five countries, even though this week's ones all come from other countries, which I thought was interesting. So I guess I don't have a name on that one. Um, other countries. Does it actually just say that on a listing? Yeah. So I mean, maybe I'm, they just I'm, didn't put it in. I'm assuming it's German. Oh, Munich, Munich, comma other countries. Is it Munich? Maybe, or maybe. Oh well, München is how you say Munich in German. Yeah. Uh, it's That's probably for... maybe they allow remote work, and so there's like you know, if you live in another nearby country, maybe. Yeah, and this know. is for the con contents CMS, right? Contents, yeah. Contents. Yep. So. Um, Obviously, German is probably recommended for that, but uh, <laughs> even if you want to read the posting, German's recommended. Yep, but if you go to getcfmljobs.com, you can uh, see. So they're looking for a full stack web developer. Um, I like I like how the the name is instead of a web developer, it's a web entwickler. 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 A cloud engineer like and a project manager. So there are four positions nice. open there. Good to see uh, some more jobs. And yeah, it's good to see other countries too. So um, previously we had some from India, Canada, United States, Australia. So must be one of the new ones. So, And uh, Michael Dinowitz just said, if the job's good enough, he'll move. So go check it out. <laughs> There's four of them there. One of them's got to work. <laughs> so nice. got some good postings how, there. How's your German, Michael? <laughs> it's got to be better than mine. Uh, also, we're, we have some a uh, couple of positions up with Auto Solutions as well. So if you go to autosolutions.com slash about careers, you'll see we have a, a senior Cold Fusion developer position. And then we actually have or a couple of senior, as we say. Yeah. And we have a couple um, in El Salvador too. So if you're in the El Salvador area and you'd like to, to work there, let us know. But uh, this one's uh, basically a remote position. This one is U.S. time zone availability is a must. Well, U.S. citizen resident work visa is a must too. So apart from that, um, you know, we got a lot of a lot of things we'd like you to have, uh, not a lot of things you need to have, but um, do a lot of fun uh, fun projects with orders. We lot of help help a lot of companies move out of legacy hell, as we like to put it. You know, help them modernize so they don't die because that's not fun. So legacy Hades. Yeah. So check that out if you guys are interested as well and go from there okay so next up we have our forgebox module of the week so this is a new one actually mm. by the Autis team brand new hot Bra off the presses it's brand still steaming new. yeah i think it's uh Whew. actually people people are asked to try and try this one out and let us know what you find because it's so yesterday. fresh yeah i mean it's just <laughs> it, in the it, repo the couple of days ago uh, it appears it's so fresh that the build script is messed up and the current stable build is at build.version at plus at build.number at <laughs> yeah it's, it's very i think they're fresh. still tweaking the build script right now <laughs> yeah but the the new module is log stash so this module yeah, provides a common interface for sending log stash logs to elasticsearch we've been so, talking about making this one for a while right yep and then uh i think we're the next one out is 
stash cash or something stash box stash stash box maybe i'm not sure but uh we're definitely loving uh loving the stashes um and <laughs> yeah this one's kind of cool that yeah you can basically throw your logs into Elasticsearch now and so you could be installed as a client only module and that connects to a separate service or it could be actually built into the Elasticsearch server itself with a direct yeah. connection so there's a huge readme on here that covers all sorts of usage so yeah check it out yep brand new uh, yeah like you say right and Four I think leases. we owe this to Mr. John Clausen yeah, as well. He's been, he's been working hard on that. Um, so the source code is up there. Check it out. Um, start testing. If you've got any questions, reach out to John. But yeah, as you said, the pretty well documented. Lots of options and settings in there as well. Uh, but yeah, very cool. Uh, I know we've got a couple of clients that uh, who, are like, who are like using Logstash. And so... We had to build it. Just keep building up the library. So, so yeah. So that's a, a new module. Go check it out. Try it out, and give us some feedback too. Uh, we'd like to try and make it better and get that out to production. So I know, like I said, we have a couple of customers that are using it. If you got some more eyes on it, I'm sure John will appreciate that. Okay. So next up on our list, our VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week is ng grok for VS Code. So yeah. ng grok is a, a pretty cool way for tunneling into your uh, your machine when you're sharing uh, projects or whatnot. And we have some built into command box directly. So we have a command box yeah. module for ng grok. It's um, not ng grok, it's ng rock or ng grok, oh, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Ng. I, I've never heard anybody else say it. I've always just said it inside my head. So. Yeah, it probably is ng rock. I don't know. I always I don't say. Know. I don't know if I'm if I've ever said it right or not. To be honest, I probably never have. I don't say much right, apparently. <laughs> but you say stuff fun, Gavin, and that's what's important. Yeah, sure. So, um, but yeah, you've got the <laughs> the ngrok or whatever control uh, panel, so the command palette can pop up, and you can start a a tunneling point, and it gives you a nice little URL, so you can use it. But the cool thing is, it automatically generates the URL for you to share. But now, you know, instead of having to use it in command box, you can use it directly from VS Code. Um, and so you copy from the clipboard and then you can paste it and it can even generate a QR code. So if you're on a mobile device, you can just scan it, which is pretty cool. Well, that's kind of clever. We yeah. need to add that into the, into the command box version of it. You should. The, the command box module, which I think Eric Peterson wrote is you start a server and you can just type server share start and it does the same thing. It spins up the ngrok tunnel or whatever. Yep. Um, but yeah, the QR code is kind of clever. Yeah. I like it. And then here, obviously, you can stop uh, one tunnel or all tunnels. Um, and there's also a dashboard to check out all your ngrok stuff. So pretty nice. neat. Uh, a couple of configurations. Um, and then, yeah, but nice little, nice little project. And again, just another little helpful tool as a developer straight inside VS Code now. So pretty soon. We're just going to do everything in VS Code. You know, like the, the Google Chromebooks, whereas like the entire operating system is just Chrome. Pretty soon it's going to be the, the VS Code book, and it's just the entire operating system's VS Code, and there's literally an extension for anything you could ever do. Just take over the operating system. So Charlie is uh, looked up the FAQ, and it's pronounced in Grok, because Grok is to understand in... Yeah, if you Grok something. Was it Adam Tuttle? Who was it that had the, the Cold Fusion Grokker was their name on Twitter or something? Yeah, I think... Remember that? I think, yeah... I'm pretty sure somebody Tuttle did have somebody used to have that. Pretty sure that was him. 
Okay, so next up on our list, luckily for everybody else, it's the last thing on our list. We're going to thank <laughs> our Patreon supporters. So as we mentioned, we have 31 supporters now, um, and we're we're doing pretty well, but there's still room for more support. Uh, obviously, the main thing that the Patreon goes through right now is the, the podcast that we have, and we'd like to build those up. And also, once we've passed that amount, we'll set our next goals for things like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Test Box, and all the other open source um, projects that we have. So obviously... Uh, Patreon is a great way for you to financially support our projects. Uh, we also take uh, tickets, issues, pull requests, documentation, a lot of different ways you can help us. But uh, we also want to just thank those personally on the podcast for all those Patreon supporters that are using their hard-earned dollars to, to help us out. So we thank you. Is it your turn, Brad, or is it my turn? Um, I don't know whose turn it is, but I can do it. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Here's our current list of Patreon supporters. Big thanks to Ben Nadell, Brett DeLine, Carl Von Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Carr, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Didier Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Dyger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, uh, Laxma Tiratardi. T- I always say that wrong. Tiratardi? You always say it better, Gavin. I always mess that one up. Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Odin, Stephen Klotz, Snaptrix, and Yogesh Mathur. Thank you so yep. much for you guys' support. Yeah, and if you go to autosolutions.com slash about us slash sponsors, you can see all of those and their pretty pitches as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll definitely be looking for more uh, support there uh, it's good to see the new ones come in we get excited every time we have a new supporter so go to patreon.com autosolutions and pledge a few bucks to help us today uh, we appreciate it every time we get a new patreon supporter an angel gets his wings something like that <laughs> well thanks for sticking around guys it's a long episode but a lot of good stuff there today so thanks for joining me brad and we'll see everybody next week adios everybody bye Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.